welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 32 for Tuesday, September the 15th, 2020. However you listen or watch, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast, whether you are over on YouTube. All you need to do, search in the bar up at the top, Matt Bernier Show. This one will pop up along with the 31 prior episodes. Uh, But if you are over there, make sure that you not only subscribe, make sure that the bell icon is lit up, make sure that you give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and you comment beneath the video player, whether it's just overall opinions, something specifically discussed here on the show. If you want to be involved in the Friday feature coming up next week, be in the position that Jerry Richmond is in this episode, and you'll hear from Jerry here momentarily. Uh, Again, beneath the video player on YouTube is the place to do that. If you listen audio only, like many of you do, you have your sort of standard spots for your podcast listening. Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. You can also head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com where you can find all the latest from the flagship show, the In The Money Players Podcast, the Racing Picks Players Podcast. You can also find my analysis over on RacingPicks.com throughout the week. You can find Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. You can find... JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin. You can find the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Luganbuehl. You can find Nick Luck's daily podcast. You can find a million things. You also find written content over there. In the moneypodcast.com is where you need to go. You can also find the Horseplayer Happy Hours. We're going to have one of those coming back here on. Mm, I'm not going to say it yet. It's either Thursday or Friday, Friday this week. I think it might be Friday. But easy enough way to find that out. Follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or follow the boss. At Loomis Boldly, PTF. Or, even better yet, Breeders' Cup. At Breeders' Cup. Uh, A million ways for you to find content available from the In The Money team. Uh, As far as this week's episode goes, going to dive into the Friday feature. If you are trying to win and be involved, come on the show. Chop it up for a little bit. Be in the position that Jerry Richmond is in in this episode. Uh, You need to leave your selection for Gulfstream Park's seventh race this week. Five for a long turf sprint, not winners of one other than. Looks like the weather's going to cooperate. Leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. It's the only place I'll take your official entry. Uh, if you win, I'll contact you, and we will do this thing again next Monday. I'll call you up over the weekend try to figure something out. I won't call you. I'll contact you in the comment section, tell you to email me, and we'll make something work. Uh, speaking of this weekend, I believe it's 5 o'clock both days, but I don't know for certain. 5 o'clock on Saturday, 5 o'clock on Sunday, NBCSN. Uh, I will be involved with some Breeders' Cup winning your in-action uh, in conjunction with TVG. So looking forward to that. It'll be from somewhere in our humble abode. Uh, but that'll be on Saturday and Sunday this week. Uh, NBCSN, I believe, at 5 o'clock. Big sporting events this weekend. And that's also sort of what we will transition to we'll start with the friday feature i'll come back a couple little q a little pieces here and there i'll talk about the classic division as a whole because dovetailing off of one of the pieces from q a uh and then we'll transition into something that some of you will have absolutely no interest in and some of you will and one way or the other it's fun it's that time of year u.s open for golf those of you that don't know big golf guy uh almost as big if not more so than with the horses uh this week our national championship. So I'm going to give you a few golfers that maybe you want to get down on while you still have some time. And then also we'll take a look at some of the lines coming up for this weekend from the NFL. Week two, week one is in the books. 
you know, uh, the only thing I put out there publicly was a 14 money line uh, parlay. And unfortunately, the Cowboys stunk and they, it didn't really matter because the, the, the Colts had already just completely, you know, what the bet earlier in the day to Gardner Minshew. Never mind. It is what it is. We'll take a look at some lines later on. But first things first, let's dive into the Friday feature. Again, Jerry Richmond is the guest this week. If you want to be in Jerry's position next week for the Friday feature, you're going to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. It is for Gulfstream Park race number seven. Without further ado, here is Jerry and his analysis for this week's Friday feature. All right, after a little bit of a hiatus, let's call it a one-week post-derby sort of hangover, whatever you want to call it, the Friday feature is back, and Jerry Richmond had won the contest a few weeks ago and unfortunately again i kind of got tied up that one weekend couldn't make it happen then we had the derby and all that other jazz so jerry has kindly enough sort of donated his time on a tuesday as opposed to a monday when we typically do this thing first things first jerry thank you for doing this how are you give us a little bit of background on yourself uh hi matt uh th- first of all thank you for doing this uh for all us weekend warriors it's uh nice to have a little voice um, I've been playing horses for as long as I can remember. One of my college buddies' family uh, owned Crypto Clearance, uh, ran the 87 Triple Crown, got, got more into it, met a couple more degenerate buddies in uh, college, and uh, we actually started claiming some horses right after we graduated, um, some cheap 5,000 claimers, and going to Arlington, Hawthorne, Sportsman's for you know 30 years, 30-some years. I was going to say, this feels like we've had a number of folks from all different parts of the country, which has been a nice sort of additive or nice little wrinkle to this entire thing. But we've had a few folks in that sort of Chicago, Illinois area. Is that more or less where you're based? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm actually, I live about eight minutes uh, from Arlington, Park, Arlington oh, Park. So it's a perfect And actually, park. Howard Kravitz, Howard Kravitz was on a few weeks ago. He's a good friend of mine. Oh, is that right? So, Yeah. It's all in the family. I love it. This is good stuff. Now, before we dive into the Friday feature for this weekend, for those of you looking to play, it is the 7th at Gulfstream on Friday. It's a five furlong turf sprint. We'll dive into the details of that here in a little bit. Um, a couple things, just sort of your your overall thoughts and opinions on what we saw in the Kentucky Derby just a couple weeks back now. And unfortunately, we found out the news about Honor AP being retired. What are your overall thoughts on the three-year-olds in the Derby as a whole? Um, I actually thought handicapping, looking at the, the form, I actually thought it was a really weak field, I thought. I thought, except for Tis the Law, I actually was a big authentic fan, but I uh, unfortunately listened to all the, listened to about 20 podcasts for a couple of weeks, and nobody liked him. Nobody thought he could go a mile and a quarter. And so I kind of used Tis the Law over authentic with a bunch of long shots. And, um, you know, I should have stuck with my guns like you did with uh, she, shares the, she Dares the Devil. Yeah, and that's, that's it's one of those things, it's a tough lesson to learn where you want to hear what everyone else thinks and what everyone else's opinions are, but at the same time, there's always that danger of being swayed off of what your gut is telling you and what you like, and I think this is sort of a good learning piece going forward for, for everyone that listens and watches, that you can listen to people that you trust and respect their opinions, but when push comes to shove, go with what you believe in. Right. I mean, I thought... The Haskell, everyone thought he got tired, and Baffert gave an excuse that uh, he got lazy. You know, usually when a horse opens up by three, he looked like he was going to win by five or six, and if he had done that, he would have been, you know, three to one in the Derby. But he, you know, he supposedly Mike Smith didn't 
get him right like uh, Baffert wanted, and he got lazy, and he won by a nose, and nobody liked him. And so. that was that was my kind of logic. Look, and again, I make no bones about it. I didn't pick the horse for the Derby, but I did look at that race in the Haskell and say it's not a matter of him getting tired. It's a matter of him being a goofball. He's always been very immature right. out there looking around doing X, Y, and Z. And I just felt like there was a really big gap between he and New York traffic. And many people looked at New York traffic and said, well, maybe he's got that piece. And who knows? Maybe he'll turn into something a little bit more as we go down the line. But I just didn't think that gap was nearly as tight as many, many people made it out to be. And even having said that, I couldn't convince myself that he was necessarily a derby horse. I thought he would be more of a Preakness type. We'll find out. Maybe he will be a Preakness type, but he was certainly a Kentucky Derby horse as well. As far as the Friday feature is concerned here, race number seven down at Gulfstream Park. I know Belmont's getting ready to go, but they haven't drawn the races yet just in time for us to do this. So Gulfstream kind of falls into this thing by default. Five eights on the grass, non-winners of one other than. You've got a couple of MTOs, but it looks like, knock on wood, the weather should be okay down in South Florida on Friday afternoon. Uh, Before we go into any specifics as far as horses are concerned, how do you approach these sort of five furlong turf sprints? I, I've spoken about it at, at length that I really don't enjoy them and I have a hard time figuring them out, making heads or tails of them. Uh, where do you land on these? I fall in your category. I don't know anyone, anyone really who likes turf sprints or actually has a good uh, return on uh, betting turf sprints. I did have Belvoir Bay in the uh, Breeders' Cup, but that's that's probably uh, the exception, not the rule there. Um you know, certain certain tracks you just can't close in, in five five and a half furlong races. You have to be within a couple of lengths of the lead, and I think Gulfstream's one of those tracks where the turf sprints you want to be you don't want to be too far back. Especially when you have a, a track like Gulfstream where they more or less run continuously. I know they'll have those you know those few weeks where they go over to Gulfstream Park West and give the main turf a little bit of a breather, but for the most part they've run consistently on this grass course since what December of last year. So you're looking at I, I know some of our friends, I won't name names, but they, they refer to it as DERF, dirt turf, because it's not proper grass at this point anymore. How can it be with the heat and all the things that go on and the amount of races that are run down there? It's just very difficult to keep that. Uh, you know, I'm, well, let's use your sort of hometown track there. It's never going to look like Arlington's turf, put it that way. That is a pristine, beautiful turf course, and I, I do really well there. And it's unfortunately... Uh, I haven't been there. I haven't been there this year because the racing's just, uh, you know, horrible with the with the purses and stuff. So and what's going on there has just been uh, it's been really hard to uh, to watch since I, I guess I've been going there for thirty years. So it's honest, really hard it, to. Uh, Arlington was kind of the first place for me when I first really started getting into it. Million Day was one of the first days that I was really exposed to from like a let's call it an international standpoint where. You had O'Brien sending horses over, and you had these horses that I wasn't familiar with, but they were coming on, and they were winning races, and it really started to make me approach the grass racing differently on the biggest stage anyway, where when these Europeans come over here, even if they're sort of the B or C stringers, you've got to take them seriously. Yeah, the Europe, speaking of Europeans, uh, you know, I said I used to own horses, so I had an owner's pass. I used to go to the million every year, and I would just go in T-shirt, sandals, and shorts. And they had a right behind the uh, winter circle. They had a what they call a port, like an owner's box, but it was just like a tent. So I just said, "Oh, is this for the owners of the million? They're like, "No, it's for any track owners." So I showed them my bat, my pass. So I'm sitting there, and I actually was standing next to the owners of uh, I think it was Silvano, a German horse. This is back in like 2001 or so, and you know. 
they're celebrating, and I, I'm just sitting there dressed like, uh, you know, an idiot. And they're all in suits, and, and they, they just won the million, so it was, it was pretty funny. It's it's the beauty of horse racing, though, and I feel like that that piece is lost a little bit in the midst of these big events, and this year notwithstanding. But these bigger events, you see everyone all dressed up and, and this, that, and the other thing. There are just as many, if not more, folks who are owners or involved with horses that show up at the track, to your point, in flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt and whatever the case may be. And I think it's, I think that's a piece that kind of gets lost in the narrative that we try to spin with sort of the modern day horse racing aspect. Would you agree with that? I agree. I agree. I think, I think people now just think that uh, every owner is uh, a millionaire, billionaire, and uh, you got, you got to spend hundreds of thousands, not millions to have a good horse, but it's, you know, we, we claimed horses for 5,000. We had a lot of fun. And that's kind of why I, I looked at a, a story like California Chromes, I, you know, not including the, the situation that happened there after the Belmont. But it was such a it was such a different story. It was a unique story where it's not the millionaires and billionaires that are showing up in the winner's circle collecting another check and whatever the case may be. It's it's sort of your low profile folks who enjoy to go to enjoy going to the racetrack and they happen to put some money together. And here you go. You've got a horse who was bred to be a five furlong turf claimer and instead he turns into one of the the greats of the past 10 to 15 years so it's funny how things like that work speaking of bred to be five furlong turf claimer type these aren't necessarily claimers again non-winners of one other than the seventh race at Gulfstream on friday i think it's a pretty interesting group of horses though here jerry simply because you know you've got a horse like joyful heart on the outside who from a numbers standpoint, makes all the sense in the world, but we're talking about a pretty significant turn back and distance here. I mean, what do you make of the big turn back? I know this horse did win on the turn back uh, three starts back, but you know, is, is that sort of a concern for you with these type of races? And you brought up the running style situation. You would imagine this horse, even being forwardly placed going longer, probably going to come from a little bit farther off if it going five eights. No, I think yeah, I think the uh, Joyful Heart will be one of the uh, one of the trailers in this race, uh, trying to close. And I think there's there's you know two or three speed horses. Uh, I think uh, Fully Loaded's got to get a perfect trip if he sits right off of the uh, Shoshani Brave and go gone gone. Um, and I just don't want to close from too far back. And I don't like you know mile mile sixteenth to five furlongs is uh, you know you got quick and pretty fast there. Now, when you get into looking at the horses who project to be forward, ultimately, how do you how do you differentiate between them? Let's say you've got two or three horses that you think are going to be in positions that are advantageous to or conducive to winning in a race like this. How do you then separate? How do you split the difference between them? Um, well, I try and look and see if, if one of them is coming out of maybe a better race. I'm more of a class handicapper, so if someone's running faster against better horses... I'm hoping that uh, he'll put away the, the the cheaper speed, so to say. Um, but these are all kind of similar horses here in this in this race in terms of the speed. Um, and you know they're blistering. They're running 20, 20 and 42, 21, 43. I mean, it's gonna be a fast pace there. I was gonna say they're gonna be throwing it down. There's no question about it. You brought up a horse like Go Gone Gone, who goes out for high percentage connections. Uh, the horse has not particularly run well at Gulfstream Park in the past, one for 19 overall, but that's been with different connections. Now we come here, second time on the turf, going out for Georgina Baxter. How do you approach a horse like this who on paper 
has had has had his share of difficulties at this sort of configuration at this track. But do you look at him as if he's just an entirely new horse with a new outfit? Um, possibly, but I just think this is going to be a little tough situation with him with the four horse inside of him, probably be in front of him and the uh, fully loaded right on his flank. He's not going to have a breather and he's, he's going to have a really tough trip, I think. I really don't like him to hit the board. I just think he might be improved. He might be with better connections, but I think this is not the best situation for him pace-wise. You brought up a horse like Fully Loaded, a winner most recently in that state-bred N1X condition. That was first start off of a rather lengthy layoff. And coming back in those five for a long turf sprints, or any kind of a sprint, frankly, I feel like many people, sort of a common thought is coming off of a layoff, going shorter is going to be easier than going longer, when... In reality, you need to work so much harder going shorter that that layoff can actually catch up to you a little bit more going the shorter distance as opposed to the route races, the mile, the mile, and a 16th, whatever the case may be. This horse successfully came back off the bench and got the job done going 5.8s. Now we step up into open N1X company. Uh, overall thoughts on fully loaded? Um, when I first looked at this race, I thought fully loaded should probably win. Again, sitting the perfect trip right off the two speeds, getting the uh, first run on the on the closers. Um, but again, I am concerned he was out. That was first race in four months, and you know you make a good point there that maybe I've taken some out of him working a five furlong race going that fast might take a little more out of him than a little more leisurely mile or something. Um, so I actually got him going. I got him second here. I'm hoping that the uh, the one horse on the rail, the lightly raced, uh, get the money Bernie, um, can, can run him down. Okay, and let's talk about get the money Bernie here. Goes out for Saffy Joseph Jr.'s barn, another high percentage outfit. Horse has won from just off the lead. That was breaking the maiden two starts back. Came in, took on open N1X company most recently. Far from disgraced, only beaten by a little more than two lengths. With the inside draw, is that any sort of a concern for you in these short-distance races where you would imagine the speeds are going to try to get over, clear and move to the rail? Is there any concern about pulling some sort of a trip from down there? Yeah, there's always the concern that he's got, obviously, he's got to hope that he's going to find a hole when one of the four or the five, you know, kind of pig or a little bit. Um, But he, he ran the rail last time. And that the horse on the lead just had really soft fractions and nobody was with him. They, so he couldn't really get to that horse. But he's got the same post, same level. You know, he always gets bet a little bit. Um, Safi Joe's got big, uh, a big jockey upgrade here, I think, um, in terms of the uh, win percentage of the jockeys. And, again, I just think fully loaded will probably be – you know, under two to one, and we don't have uh, we don't have morning lines here, and I just think the one horse might offer some value. But again, he's going to have to get he's going to have to find a seam between the four and the five, or, or if the four comes off the rail or something. And you bring up the price of this horse, like you say, he's always bet a little bit, but has never gone off post time favorite yet in four lifetime starts. Do you have sort of a line in the sand saying if this horse goes off at a price below? what I think is or whatever I deem is acceptable, then I'll pass? Or how do you approach your gambling uh, overall? Um, I usually do have some kind of uh, line in my head. Like the race that uh, I wanted to get on the show, Rinaldi was 6-1 to the morning line. and got bet down to 8-5. to I, you know, so I wouldn't bet that horse eight to five. I thought the horse made some, you know, had value at six to one, even four or five to one. But at eight to five, I'd actually didn't bet that horse. So there, there are certain levels that 
you know, actually, sometimes you like to see the action because, you know, maybe some some money's on it, some smart money's on it. Mm-hmm. But some too much action takes away the value. And then I, I pass. So. And do, do you have anything in mind right now, sort of that line of demarcation where you would get off? I think well, I, I think if he's under seven to two, I think seven to two would be like the, the one I'm looking for. Because again, I think that the, it depends how much they bet the nine horse fully loaded. I think that's fair. Seven to two hit, that, that translates to roughly twenty two percent as far as probability is concerned. And, and you're looking at a horse who, on paper, has every right to improve yet again. And the trip that you've laid out, I think, is one that would work to your advantage. Where you're not up there on the engine pushing things, but you're also not coming from 100 out of it. So I think Get the Money Bernie is definitely an intriguing runner in here, and we're not dealing with the favorite in a spot like this. So Jerry Richmond, you're sticking to the inside, going to go with Get the Money Bernie, roughly in that 7-2 to two range. Before I let you go, any thoughts overall on the Classic Division? As we go closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup, we're only, what, about seven weeks out now at this point. I know the Preakness still has to be run here in a couple weeks, but the defection of Honor AP... He probably would have been sort of a middle-of-the-pack as far as price is concerned type of horse for the Classic. Do you have any opinion right now on that race? Um, it's, it's hard. I really don't know what to make of uh, Maximum Security in the Baffert barn. If, if, I just don't know if those fields he's been beating out in Del Mar are weak um, or, or what. But I, I was uh, initially, I was kind of glad that Tom Staton lost uh, to Improbable. I was hoping that might help his odds come Breeders' Cup Classic Day, but I haven't heard much about him. I'm not sure what what, his, what their plans are. I think they're going to run him. Uh, you know where they're running him next? Well, they they had discussed the Jockey Club Gold Cup, but then I had heard they were talking about possibly training him right up to the race, and I don't know for certain. I'll look it up, and I'll speak about it after uh, this segment here. I don't know that he's worked recently, which is definitely a bit right, of a that, red flag. That, that, Right, that's why I'd heard that someone might say he might have a, a now. He's always had a horse. He's always been a horse that uh, doesn't have a lot of starts and has always had uh, some a lot of time off. So that's now that's concerning. So I'm have to find another horse, maybe. We'll wait and see. We've got a little bit of time left. I think if he gets back on the tab here relatively quickly, I think we'll be okay. But you can't wait too much longer, especially against a group like this. It looks like anyway on paper, it should be one of the better classics we've seen as far as depth is concerned in a number of years here. Uh, Jerry Richmond, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being flexible and amenable as far as doing this on a Tuesday, a week and a half after you actually won. Really appreciate it. Are you on Twitter? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. I'm, I have no social media presence. I'm an, old, I'm an old fart. You know what? It's probably for the best. Social media is accessible. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Jerry, thank you so much for the time. Good luck this weekend, and hopefully we see you back on here again soon. Thank you, Matt. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Jerry Richmond for helping out with this week's Friday feature. And again, if you want to be in Jerry's position next Monday, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player here on YouTube. Again, one horse. You can only use one. Has to be on YouTube. And the race is Gulfstream 7th on Friday. I'm saying it as slowly and calmly as I can. Race 7 at Gulfstream Friday afternoon. Five furlongs on turf. Beneath the video player on YouTube. Leave your selection. You can get involved with the Friday feature next Monday. All right. Let's get it going again. Uh, a couple just quick UNA pieces, and it'll sort of roll into the Breeders' Cup Classic discussion. Let's first start off with Honor AP. 
unfortunately has been retired. He has uh, some sort of a tendon issue. You know, it's it's unfortunate because to me he's gonna he's going to be one of those horses. And there are every year or two, there there is that sort of horse where you say, I have no idea what they could have been. All he was to me is a really talented horse that his accomplishments aren't vast. Put it that way. I mean he won the San Anita Derby. He defeated Authentic, who went on to win the Kentucky Derby. Great. Uh, outside of that, there's really not a lot of meat there. Other than he looks great, other than he's got great breeding, um, I'll, I will never know what he could have been. And that's that's a little bit disappointing, but, you know, it happens. That's racing. And he's always been an ouchie type. So this shouldn't be a stunner that the horse comes down with some sort of a, a, a soft tissue injury. But um, hopefully he ends up being a good stallion. Uh, I have no reason to believe he won't, but then again, I am probably the last person you should listen to as far as breeding, you know, actually like what, what people look for in a, in a stallion, because I don't deal with any of that stuff. doesn't really make a difference to me one way or the other, but, um, it's just a shame that we lose him in the midst of this fascinating run up to the Breeders' Cup Classic. So Honor AP is out. Hopefully he goes off and becomes a nice stallion. Let's talk about some of the questions and, and comments and things of that nature from last week. Again, leave them beneath the video player. You know the drill by now. Uh, Zach Skurlock. Hey, Matt, what past performance video service do you use for handicapping? Uh, it's I wouldn't call it a past performance service, but there's a few different ways you can go about it. I use a service called RTN. Um, you get unlimited replays, and, and I also have it for the live feed. I just prefer it in HD like that, and, and you know, it, it's all right there. It's very clickable. You can also throw it on the TV if I want to use the Roku um, app, or the app that is on Roku. Um, so I, I enjoy RTN. I know some other folks enjoy other pieces that are out there. Um, I'm also not opposed to just using the video function in Formulator. Uh, I use predominantly to do most of my down and dirty stuff uh, formulator for stats and charts and things like that from the daily racing form. Um, strictly speaking, from a speed figure standpoint, uh, I'm a little bit more partial to the time form US numbers, but uh, I firmly believe you need at least two figures to sort of compare and contrast. And my two are the sort of defaults for many people. Time form US and, and the buyer speed figures. I think those are the two two of the most accurate ones available. Um, and really, that's all you can ask for in a speed figure is is accuracy. So uh, I couple those sort of pieces with a service like RTN. Uh, it's very easy to find, rtn.tv. They have all sorts of different subscriptions and things like that that you can take a look at. But that's what I use uh, to watch replays and, and things of that nature. Uh, you, the other beautiful thing about that is you get HD, not all tracks have it, but you get HD head-on replays, which is very... Chef's kiss. Um, let's go to uh, Alex Kibrick. Um, and this is also going to sort of dovetail. We'll go from Alex Kibrick's last piece in his comment to Jody Powers. Uh, Alex Kibrick's last comment. Uh, one race that went under the radar this weekend was the Woodward. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on global campaign and where he fits in the Breeders' Cup Classic picture. And then we transition down to Jody Powers. Um uh, she had mentioned a comment about, and I shouldn't say she necessarily, I believe it's she, but um, about Honor AP. Obviously, that part's gone. 
Uh, what do you think about Gamine going into the sprint? I think she's better off than the Philly and Mayor sprint, but that's another story. Uh, and the top five for the classic now. Thank you to everyone for commenting and whatnot. Uh, let's start off with the Woodward specifically, and then I'll pivot into my Breeders' Cup classic top 10. Um, I thought it was a terrible loss for Tacitus. Now, I also need to throw the caveat out there that I didn't watch all of the races from Saratoga that day on the main track. So I don't know offhand if there was a bias or anything like that because it didn't really look like there was a hell of a lot of passing that went on. Having said that, Tacitus, he's just the ultimate tease. And maybe he'll be the horse that ends up somehow jumping up in a big way. He'll love Keeneland and he'll go and get all the money in the Classic. But I'm done with him. I can't, I can't trust him to, to show up with his big effort. I don't know why he fired the shot that he did at Belmont Park in, in June or whenever it was. And then he came here with this. He just, it, it was just one of those where I'm looking at it like, God, just go by. And I, Global Campaign has always hinted at being a good horse. Global Campaign is also an incredibly ouchy horse. And he never changed leads at any point. I, to me, he is not good enough to do that and beat better horses. It's one thing to do that against Tacitus. It's another thing to do that against Maximum Security, Improbable, Tom's Data, By My Standards, Tis the Law, Authentic. I mean, you name it. You got to be better than that. And he's another horse that if he wins, I'll lose. I respect, I personally, I would rather see Global Campaign in a race like the Dirt Mile. I think he'd have a hell of a lot better chance. But if they went to the Classic with him, I don't think he's, he's not a horse that I right now am looking at seriously. Now, as far as my classic top 10 is concerned, the one that I had to submit this week, uh, unfortunately, it's already uh, old because this came out and I submitted it before the news of Honor AP being retired. Uh, but I will run down my top 10 right now. And you're going to, I'm sure some people are going to roll their eyes when they hear it uh, because it really has not changed a tremendous amount from way back when. Uh, number one, I have Tom's Data. Number two, I have Improbable. Number three, Tis the Law. Number four, Maximum Security. Number five, By My Standards. Number six, Authentic. Number seven, Art Collector. Eight, Code of Honor. Nine, unfortunately, the now retired Honor AP. And 10, I put Global Campaign in there. And I was really torn between throwing him in there or leaving Midnight Bisu, who I've had 10th basically from Jump. Um, I, I am, and, and I'll talk about it a little bit when I talk about football and whatnot. It, it blows my mind how how much people love and overreact to the most recent thing that they've seen. And maybe I'm stubborn where I'm not immediately willing to just drink the Kool-Aid and say, oh, that must be it. But I've seen too many of these things happen before where all of a sudden a horse will win. And I kept using the college football analogy from a few weeks back. When one team doesn't play, Unless something that another team does is so outrageous and based on the competition that it it warrants leapfrogging a team that was ahead of them when they didn't even play, I what's the I don't understand the the rationale behind that. So for me to sit here and say because Authentic won the Kentucky Derby against three-year-old restricted company in gate-to-wire fashion, now he goes to the top of the list ahead of the older horses, the more proven horses, 
that to me, ahead of Tis the Law, who I still mean, I believe Tis the Law is a better racehorse than Authentic is. I'm not arguing with you. If, if, if you firmly believe that the race that Authentic ran in the Kentucky Derby makes him the best horse in training, that's your opinion. I think it's a little bit wild that that one race all of a sudden means that he's the best when you consider all of the pieces that go along with it. And we've seen it time and time again where I, just looking at this list, initially it started off with when when improbable, when Tom's Data won the race at Churchill, he was the leader. And then when Improbable won the Whitney, he went to number one. And then when Maximum Security, or when Tis the Law, excuse me, won, or whoever ran first, Tis the Law or Maximum Security, they went to number one. And then the other horse went to number one. And I'm sure Authentic is going to be toward the top of this list on the heels of the Derby. Where was he last week? Uh, Let's see. Let me see if I can find it. Maybe I can't. Uh, He was number four last week. So, you know, I just, I feel like people get very, very locked into what they just most recently saw. And I just feel like that's a dangerous thing because it, recency bias is a real thing. And I just think you need to be very, very, and unless you really firmly believe these things, but don't just automatically say what just happened has to be gospel. It's the same way with the past performances. If you look and say, if you only went off of the last race, I know some people think it's undervalued. I think it can be overvalued. In reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle because there are circumstances for everything. And I know that's not the sexy answer, but I think that's the truth. I think just we all get sucked into what that most recent thing is that we saw. I think you do need to f- sort of draw that line in the sand, though, and say, all right, let's take take a step back and look at the bigger picture as opposed to just what's right here in front of us. So that's my top 10 right now. Um, of the top 10, who am I looking at as legitimately a threat to win the Classic, in my opinion, from my top 10 that I have? Um, I would say f- four slash five horses. And I, they're also not the top four or five necessarily. Um, no, I guess six actually. I think Tom Zita can win. I think Improbable can win. I think Tis the Law can win. I think Maximum Security can win. I'm wishy-washy on by my standards as much as I love him. The classic, I'm wishy-washy on authentic. And I'm unsure, leaning a little bit toward yes on Art Collector, but I don't, it's still too early. So that's my initial sort of just eyeball of the classic. I feel like it's a very open affair. I don't think there was any slam dunk in here right now, at least not to my opinion. Maybe one of you out there disagrees. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube if you think there's an absolute cinch right now for the classic. If I had to guess the folks that think there's a cinch, they're probably going to go with maximum security, which to date, I don't know that I can really argue with you. But um, that's how we're looking at the classic and things at this moment. Questions, comments, concerns, again, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's transition into some golf. 
and some football for this upcoming weekend. Button this up with some golf and some football. I get it. Some of you don't really care much about this, but there are many of you who ask throughout the week, whether it's on Twitter, and some people have in the past asked about it beneath the video player. Football season's back. It's been something I've talked about here in this show, going back to when we started it at the racing form. So uh, that's going to continue. May not look exactly the same. I'm going to talk about it much more loosely than I did sort of the trifecta. Uh, and with the golf, you know, for anybody that's followed me on Twitter, that's, that's more or less what I talk about than anything on there as opposed to racing or whatever else it may be. Um, so let's start off with the golf just because it's a little bit more timely, I think. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things where you can look at it so many different ways. I've said it to anyone that'll listen. Golf is sort of the untapped great betting product that there is. It's on par. Think of it this way. It's on par, no pun intended, with a Breeders' Cup every week because there are so many of these individuals that can go out and win at any time. They're all great players. You can get unbelievable prices on some of these guys. Now, their probability may be considerably smaller because the field is much larger, but you can still get great, great odds on guys who, again, if we were going to compare it to a horse race, you're dealing with Breeders' Cup Classic caliber runners you're just dealing with more options. And you can get good prices still. Your favorite this week, I believe, is 8-1 to one in Dustin Johnson. John Rahm's right there around 9-1, to 10-1, to one, depending on what you're looking at. Um, to me, the shorter prices, of the shorter prices anyway, the one that was most, I don't want to say interesting, the one that I ended up going with, uh, I have a little bit on Justin Thomas at 12-1. to one. You know, his big problem is, it seems like anyway, in crunch time, that giant miss can show up one way or the other, right or left. Otherwise, he's nails. He's got everything that you could possibly want, especially at an event like this, a U.S. Open. He's won a PGA already. There's nothing really to knock other than that that giant miss shows up from time to time. That's a little bit of a concern. So, But of the, the shorter prices, I like him. I think Webb Simpson's got a big chance. 25 to 1, eh. I'm fine with that. He's just steady. He is as steady does. Doesn't really make any mistakes. Doesn't do anything brilliant. Uh, he's not the flashiest player, but he's rock solid. He's already won a U.S. Open, um, and it just feels like this is going to be one of those one of those events where, okay, maybe it's not going to be uh, the U.S. Open. The beautiful the beautiful thing about that is, obviously, the sort of premium is placed on par for the most part. We've seen a couple of uh, opens over the past handful of years. Pebble being uh, the one that comes to mind, obviously, most recently, where they were well under par. But typically, you're looking right around that one under, two under, three under, all the way up to three, four, five over kind of range. And a player like Webb Simpson is the kind of guy who it feels like, okay, maybe he's going to give up 15, 20, 30 yards to the Bombers, the the Roms, the Rorys, the the DJs, the, the Kepkas and, uh, of the world. But he's not going to have just the disaster hole, or he's very unlikely to have that. Um, his short game is strong. His approach, which I think is going to be the, kind of the key to this week, is from that sort of 175 in kind of range. He's as good as anyone. Uh, so he's 25 to 1. Not a great number, but I think it's fair. Hideki's the one that I have a hard time with because I like him a lot. And I guess if I needed to make a pick, it would be Matsuyama. The problem is, is has been well documented if you listen to any uh, golf sort of analysis anywhere. I mean, he just 
he seemingly has all the tools, but his putting is just so, so dramatically inferior to what most of the other pros are bringing to the table, which is kind of surprising because if you're someone who looks at a, a stat like strokes gained, it's really difficult to screw up on the on the green when it comes to professionals. Very unlikely that you're going to be giving up a ton or gaining a ton one way or the other. And somehow he just continues to suck at putting. And, uh, you know, and it's all relative, obviously. Uh, he's a hell of a lot better putter than I am, but it's not saying much. I, he's 33 to 1. If he has a hot week with the putter, I mean, anything's possible. One of these weeks, he's going to have a week where he's just putting lights out for whatever reason. And he's going to go and get the job done because all the other tools are there to be among the top five in the world. He just, that, that putter seemingly lets him down more often than not. He's sort of the middling price that I found the most interesting at 33. If you're looking for a bomber, if you're looking for just a couple of a couple of bucks here or there, I feel like a guy who, based on some of the other pieces that you can use as far as analysis is concerned, looking at common courses that sort of translate well, you can look over on datagolf.ca. They have fantastic sort of statistical pieces and, and models that you can use and look through. A guy who is a giant price, who has played well at very common courses or similar courses. He doesn't do any one thing awesome, but he really doesn't do anything poorly. He's 300 to 1. I think Adam Hadwin's going to have a decent week, and I've got him everywhere. I've got him top 40, top 20, top 10, top 5, and to win. Is he a likely winner? No, far from it. But I just I feel like this is there are enough positives here to make a case for a 300 to one shot. This goes back to the whole, she does the devil piece. He, has he ever really contended at an event this size, this of this caliber? No, but at 300 to one, I'm willing to find out if we're talking about somebody who is trying to do this, who's 20 to one, it's a different story. And even having said that 20 to one, still a good number, but when you consider the size of the field, it's all again, everything's relative. Uh, so Adam Hadwin was the one that I took a little bit of a token flyer on at 300 to one. My pick, would be Hideki. Um, of the shorter prices, I think JT is the right way to go. But those are some names maybe you want to consider. And let me know what you guys think. If any of you are into golf, uh, bet on it, play DFS, any of that kind of stuff, let me know beneath the video player. Uh, and as far as the NFL goes this week, um, again, I'm not going to do it in the same vein as the way I used to do it. It's going to be much more sort of freeform. It's difficult when we're this far out from some of the games. This is being recorded on Tuesday. You know, we don't know what injury reports look like. Uh, the whole COVID thing is an entirely different animal. We'll wait and see how that affects things. But just based on the numbers that were out there right now, uh, the one that I was most intrigued with, uh, I took them at minus seven coming up on Sunday, the Cardinals at home against Washington. You know, Washington, I, That the difficult thing this early in the season, going back to what I was talking about earlier in the show, the idea of people overreacting to the most recent thing that they saw, you know, a lot of love for Washington, a lot of love for Arizona. I think the difference is coming into this season, there was reason to believe Arizona was going to be pretty good. Uh, I believe they ended last season seven and nine or six and ten, one of the two, but they were trending the right way toward the end of the year. Their defense, I think, is better than maybe we, or not we, but collectively we, everyone, uh, maybe would have thought initially. Obviously, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins makes life a lot easier for Kyler Murray. But Murray's mobility is always going to make a team like that dangerous. I know minus seven is is a big number, 
but that was at even money. And I'm not convinced. I need to see more to believe that this Washington thing is not just a one-week piece. And the other part for me with that is I don't know that was it more Washington improving or is Philadelphia just kind of overrated? And I felt that way last year, and I'm not even going to pile on to the Carson Wentz thing. I just don't know how good they actually are. Now, you know, they were shorthanded. There's no denying that, but I'm just not convinced that they're all that a bag of chips. So, minus seven for me, Arizona at home. And again, home field, I don't know how much of a difference that really is going to make this year with the lack of crowds early on anyway, with the exception of those few stadiums that have had them. But um, So, Arizona minus seven, that's where I went at even money against the team from Washington. Then, if you wanted to get a little bit more creative, I got a four-team parlay and a four-team teaser. Um, the... Let's start off with the parlay. I took, uh, Air, and I bought a couple points here and there just to kind of jimmy the numbers around. Uh, Arizona, I bought a half point to get that down to minus six and a half. Parlayed them with the Bengals on Thursday night. Uh, the line itself is plus six that I saw. I got it up to seven and a half. I just don't believe that there's that much a discrepancy between both teams, between Cleveland and Cincinnati. And that doesn't mean that I think they're both good or bad. I actually think they're both decent. I think sort of the the Cleveland debut, you know, in week one against against Baltimore was more, I mean, Baltimore, I think, is a bit of a juggernaut. And Cleveland just couldn't get out of their own way. And and I thought Cincinnati played pretty well, and I tweeted it out afterward. For his first game, given the lack of sort of preparation compared to what he typically would have had for his rookie year, or going into it anyway, I, I thought Joe Burrow looked really good, all things considered. Now you add in, he's going to get a little bit more of a rapport with Boyd and with A.J. Green. Joe Mixon, I'm I'm kind of getting getting sick of his act. I just don't think he's, I don't feel like he's taken that really big step that I, I thought he was going to when he finally came out of school. But neither here nor there. So I moved the Bengals up to 7.5. Uh, that's at minus 155. The Bills at the Dolphins. The Bills, <laughs> the Bills game against the Jets. And the Dolphins game up here last weekend against the Patriots, to me, I feel like they they kind of mirrored one another in that I'm sure a lot of people looked at the final scores, and I get it, Buffalo won probably more handily than New England did against Miami, Buffalo against the Jets. But Buffalo had the game absolutely on lock. I think it was at the end of the first half, Josh Allen ended up trying to do some stupid thing. He fumbled the ball, Jets go down and score. Get a little bit of momentum early on in the second half. Go down and score again. I don't think the game was nearly as close as the score would indicate. And I know some people want to argue that the Dolphins game against the Pats was actually closer than it was. Same deal. If Nikhil Harry doesn't fumble the ball into the end zone, it's 21-3. to And I don't think there's any chance that Miami even makes it remotely close. Another thing for those that didn't really pay attention or don't live up here, don't really care about the Patriots, whatever that may be, there was like a fourth and twelve in the early in the fourth quarter that was converted to prolong a drive where they ultimately went down and scored. I don't think that game was nearly as close as it would suggest. So to me, even though they're on the road, even though there's probably going to be some fans in Miami, I, I think Buffalo minus six is pretty pretty cut and dry. I'd be very surprised if Miami kept it too much less than that. And the only other one that I threw in there, bought a half point on this game. This one could come back to bite me in the rear end. It did on Sunday. Uh, I took the Colts minus two and a half. And again, I bought that half point. So it's down to minus 135 at home against the Vikings. The Vikings defense looked 
like Swiss cheese, granted, against Aaron Rodgers. But with the Colts, it feels like, or to me anyway, I know he made a lot of the similar mistakes or the similar sort of plays that he did when he was out in San Diego or L.A., whatever you want to call him. I still call him San Diego. I'd like to think that Rivers, with some time, is going to improve. I know they lost Marlon Mack, but they've got the kid Taylor, who a lot of people like. I didn't know anything about him because I don't really watch college football anymore, but all my friends told me he was seemingly the goods. Um, Naheem Hines, I don't know if I really, you know, I, I had I dabbled with Naheem Hines last year as sort of a, an emergency flex in some of my fantasy leagues. That was that was hit or miss. But I like the receivers that they have. T.Y. Hilton is still sort of, he's not underrated, but I feel like he fits in there very well as sort of your Larry Fitzgerald role where he'll, from year, a few years back, where he's not necessarily the game breaker anymore, but he's pretty reliable. I like Paris Campbell. I think Paris Campbell is legit. Uh, I think he's healthy now, and hopefully he can continue on building on that good week one after sort of an injury-filled uh, first year coming from Ohio State. So I think Indy's good. Maybe I'll be proven wrong about them, but I'm going to ride that wave. So that's the four-team parlay there. Uh, the Cardinals minus 6.5, and, and again, this is with buying a couple points. Cardinals minus 6.5, Bengals plus 7.5, Bills minus 6, Colts minus 2.5, and, and then just for ha-has, threw out a big teaser. Um buying six points with those same four teams. So the Cardinals game effectively, well, it didn't really move to a pick because it's minus one. So that could, but again, I, I just think they're better than, than Washington is. Uh, the Bengals to plus 12, the Bills to a proper pick and the Colts to plus three. So there you have it. There's a little bit of NFL to kick things off here for the first time this year. Uh, let me know thoughts about the league, about teams, whatever it may be beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie underscore Matt. Thank you again to Jerry Richmond. That's going to wrap up episode 32. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. A number of ways, uh, whether you're over on the podcast apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, where, however it may be over there, uh, your Android device, in the moneypodcast.com, or if you're over on YouTube in that search bar, Matt Burney, your show, this episode and the 31 prior episodes will all be over there. Please rate, review, and subscribe however you listen. Uh, I'll be back next Monday. Uh, again, don't forget, Saturday, Sunday, I believe it's 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, NBCSN in conjunction with TVG I'll be on there talking about some Woodbine racing, some winning your in action for the Breeders' Cup. Breeders' Cup's right around the corner. Just a few more weeks left. I'll probably start diving into that a little bit more next week as well. You want to get involved in the uh, Friday feature next week, again, make sure beneath the video player on YouTube is Gulfstream 7 at 5 for long term breaks. Uh, until next Monday, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, wherever you play. This has been episode 32 of the Matt Bernier Show.